Welcome to The Rounds, a podcast of Marshfield Clinic Health System. I'm your host, Adam Hocking. The Rounds brings together medical experts to discuss fresh, fascinating, and important topics from the world of healthcare. Imagine being in a serious accident that left you unable to communicate. How would you tell your doctors and nurses how you wanted to be cared for? You might say you trust a loved one to make decisions for you in this situation. But what you might not know is that, in the state of Wisconsin, specific legal paperwork, called an advanced directive, is required to give any person the authority to make healthcare decisions on your behalf. In these situations, not having an advanced directive can create extreme stress for your family, friends, and care team. Here to talk about advanced directives and planning for the unforeseen are Marilyn Fallon and Penny Dupee, who are both advanced care planning coordinators at Marshfield Clinic Health System. Penny Dupee and Marilyn Fallon, thanks for joining us today on the podcast on The Rounds. It's good to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So today we're talking about a fascinating topic, which is advanced care planning and advanced directives. And I think a lot of times when we're talking about an issue like this, it's easy to start with an example to kind of explain to people what is advanced care planning? What is an advanced directive? So um, let's say myself, I'm 31 years old. I've got a family. Let's say I'm in a bad accident. I'm at uh, I'm transferred to Marshall Medical Center at the hospital, and I'm unable to communicate for myself. Whether it was the nature of the injury or I'm incapacitated, I can't communicate my wishes for medical care. How does an advance uh, directive and advance care planning kind of come into play in this scenario? Well, Adam, so if you if you had engaged in some advanced care planning conversation with your loved ones, um, and talked with them about what your goals and values are and preferences for healthcare treatment if you're ever unable to make those decisions for yourself. Um, ultimately, what we would prefer that you do is, is complete a document called an advanced directive designating someone to make healthcare decisions on your behalf if it would come to a situation where you were unable to make those decisions, and then they would know what your preferences would be for treatment um, or no treatment or stopping some treatment. And if if I were to say to you, you know, well, my wife knows me very well. She knows exactly what I would want in that situation. That doesn't quite cut it in, in the state of Wisconsin particularly. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Yes, yes. So Wisconsin is not considered what we call a next of kin state. So which means our spouse or our oldest child um, is not able to legally make health care decisions on our behalf. Um, we need to complete a document, call the power of attorney for health care for that to happen. And that's the same thing as an advanced directive? It, yes. A power of attorney for health care is one form of an advanced directive, yes. And Adam, you mentioned, well, my wife would know what I want. That's a common belief that my wife or my son or my daughter would know what I want. However, as we have conversations and we begin to talk about people's values and preferences in certain health situations, often the conversation evolves and there's some discovery that, gosh, I wouldn't have guessed that you felt that way about how my pain is managed or how you would feel this way about uh, a feeding tube or a whole host of, of certain situations. And so that advanced directive is the document you can use to legally outline, here's exactly what I want in this situation or if this contingency were to happen. What is the difference between that document and advanced care planning, which is, I guess, more of the process? Can you kind of differentiate 
the document from the actual process of advanced care planning? Yeah, so advanced care planning is more about the conversation that we have with individuals about what their goals and values and preferences may be. We talk about things like what gives their life meaning or what what does living well mean to you and what would be accept what would be an acceptable outcome versus an unacceptable outcome we also explore things like cultural um, religious spiritual preferences personal beliefs that people have um, that may impact the care they want to receive or not want to receive and that really is a process it's not a once and done it's something that we encourage ongoing conversation with our loved Loved ones, because our wishes may change as life circumstances change. You know, and Penny raises a really important point in that, you know, depending on our backgrounds, we may or may not be that familiar with certain health procedures, tests, and so forth. And to be candid, perhaps a test or a procedure or a medication hasn't even been invented yet. Fast forward a year or two, there may be something new for us to consider. So to talk about what outcomes would be acceptable to you. So if you had CPR, what would you be hoping as a result of having CPR is a really important conversation to have. And, you know, I I wonder, can you talk about experiences you've had, not asking you to, you know, name specific people, of course, but uh, whether it's anecdotal or, or personal experiences you've had where someone didn't have that document filled out, hadn't gone through this process, what's the what's the result of what their care is like when they don't have, a, a, it's called a healthcare agent to, to help make their decisions for them? What's, what's that like? Well, I can tell you of a situation where uh, a granddaughter needed to make decisions for a grandmother who had a massive stroke. And the grandmother wanted her to be the person to make those decisions. However, she would never talk with the granddaughter. She told the granddaughter, you'll just know. Well, the granddaughter struggled terribly with the decisions that were before her and spoke with her um, pastor about it and really, really struggled knowing that she was doing what indeed her grandmother would have wanted. And it's still, I've talked with her, it still bothers her a decade later because she just isn't for sure she did the right thing. And so for the person that's going through the care, obviously they want to be cared for on their terms, but for the loved ones, it can also reduce a lot of the stress that's there just by giving them, okay, we know exactly what mom would have wanted or what my wife wants in this situation. It takes away some of the stress of having to make that decision. If I wanted to start the process, so it makes sense to me why I would want to to do this. I want to protect my wife and my kids and myself if I were ever in that situation. How do I get started? What happens when I first reach out to you guys and, and how do we start the process? Mm-hmm. We would ask that you and your wife come in and to, to meet with us individually to have this conversation. And it's very similar to what I described earlier. So we would ask you um, any past experiences that you may have had with um, loved ones or people that you know who were suddenly ill or injured and what that experience was what like for you. What did you learn from that experience? What was positive or negative about that experience? And what would you have done differently? Um, and then explore those other topics with you in terms of what living well means to you or what gives your life meaning, what's important to you. We talk with you about um, things you should consider in terms of designating a power of attorney for, or a, I'm sorry, a healthcare agent, what types of qualities that person should have. Um, 
because we often do th- automatically think that would be a, sh- a spouse or a, or a child or a sibling, um, but sometimes they're not the best people to make those decisions on our behalf. And then also explore with you um, your um, uh, cultural, religious, spiritual beliefs um, that may impact the care that you would want to receive or not want to receive. And then once that con- we've had that conversation, oftentimes people um, don't realize the, the depth of the conversation and, the, and what, um, what topics we're exploring with them. And m- you may need to go home and have more conversation with your loved ones before you actually take the time to complete your advanced directive. I was curious about that. What kind of revelations do people kind of have as they go through the process? Are there common sort of aha moments that you see as, as people go through the advanced care planning process? I think that uh, some of the aha moments are, how do I feel if I had a sudden event such as a car accident or illness that left me unable to communicate? And I'm in a situation where the doctors believe there's little chance that I will recover the ability to know who I am or who I am with. Would I want medical care continued or would I want it stopped knowing in either situation I'd be kept comfortable? People really have to think about that because oftentimes we think of advanced care planning for someone who's elderly, always good for our parents, not so much for us. We're too young, right? Um, Or someone who has a big bad diagnosis and who uh, is in a terminal state. But the scenario I just described to you of a sudden event could happen to any one of us and it could be a temporary situation or a permanent situation. And people have to think about that. Would I want medical care stopped right away? Would I want a trial? Would I want to try for a while? And then what does a while mean to them? Well, if I saw signs of improvement, what would be signs of improvement for you? And they, they need to think about that. So, And that's often where particularly couples who come in and, oh, we talk all the time, we know. A conversation like this, they may have very different views. And those are pretty heavy, weighty questions to be asking yourself. How do people come to conclusions on those types of things? You know, some people have thought a lot about it or they've had a personal experience with a close friend or a loved one, and they have some pretty clear ideas of what quality of life um, uh, they're willing to live in and what would be important. And other times people need to talk to pastors or they just want a little more time to think about it. Um, These aren't conversations that can be hurried. Sometimes people come in and say, oh, let's get this paperwork done. And they think it's a couple check boxes and don't realize some of the thought. And of course, the more thought you put into it and conversation you have with loved ones, the more helpful it will be for your loved ones if they should need to serve in that role for you. And I would imagine, you know, it's almost like life insurance. You're, you're preparing for something that one, may never occur, and two, involves thinking about some pretty weighty stuff, um, end of life care, or at least some very serious medical care. So it gives you the opportunity to procrastinate, which Americans love, and to and you have to think about death if you want to fill out an advanced directive, something that Americans don't like to do. So what is the challenge of sort of engaging people in this process? I think it's, it's um, stating the facts and, and that being that Wisconsin is not a next-of-kin state. So it's important that people um, 
have the legal document completed, um, granting someone authority to make those decisions on their behalf. But it's also um, offering some reassurance that family members may have more peace of mind, knowing that they followed through on the wishes of their loved one. Granted, these are never easy decisions. Um, there's always some emotions involved with them, but knowing knowing that you're following through with that person's wishes makes that decision a little more easy or reassuring. Some people describe it as one of the final gifts you can give your family or your loved ones so that they don't have to wonder. Or sometimes families fall apart because they believe each person in the family in their heart of hearts believes they know what mom or dad or aunt and uncle want, but they each have a different idea of what that would be. So having that conversation in an ideal world, if you have two or three children, that they are all aware of what your preferences are and not just one child, for example, so they can be supportive of each other. Do you find it easier to engage the older generations in these conversations, the, the, the folks that are in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, than it is to engage folks in their 20s or 30s that, that um, or, or, you know, we've talked off air about uh, students getting ready to go off to college. Very important for them to have these as they're going to be making their own decisions out in the world on their own. Is it a bigger challenge to engage that younger group? I think it definitely is a challenge to engage the younger group because of our belief in immortality, and we always feel it's too early till it's too late. However, to broadly say that um, older people have an easier time, uh, we had one provider tell the story of an 80-some-year-old person who said, I'm too young, talk to me when I turn 90. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, it really is all over the board, and, and you do have to come to terms with your own mortality and your comfort with death, and some individuals and some families are more comfortable with it than others, depending on their life experiences. So we've talked about sort of the um, the unforeseen event, getting in a car accident and being suddenly incapacitated. But what about actual end-of-life care where you, you know it's coming and you've got the advanced directive, you've got the, the sort of the process in place? What is the advantage to a person um, who's approaching advanced age and knows that the end is near? Why is an advanced directive in, in this process important for them? I personally believe that once you open the conversation, and sometimes individuals can't, it's hard for them to open up and have these conversations with each other. But if they come in and there's a third person, if you will, who's beginning to help them have this dialogue, and once you open it up, it's easier to continue having the dialogue and build upon the dialogue so that it's not a taboo subject. So we know at, with a new diagnosis, as I watch my own parents with their um, cancer diagnoses, um, as they were faced with new decisions about uh, uh, chemotherapy or this or that or the other thing, because we had talked about, we could now talk about this next step and how are they feeling about it and, and so forth. It, I personally think it, it makes it a little bit easier. And I should mention Marshville Clinic is so committed to this work that they are not charging patients for these appointments. So uh, we really want no barriers for patients to have um, the assistance that they may need to start these conversations and also to help prepare the legal document. They don't need to go to an attorney, certainly can, but don't need to do that if, if they don't want to. 
What other challenges do you see in the way uh, or as barriers to getting as many people signed up uh, for advanced directives and engaged in the advanced care uh, planning process? What, what other barriers exist uh, in your minds? I think it's, it's one of those messages that people need to hear numerous times as with tobacco cessation or any healthy lifestyle initiative. This is another wellness initiative that we need to consider. And I think it's just the fact that people need to hear the message numerous times or have a personal experience with it um, to understand the, the importance of the conversation and, and completing those documents. I think just the barrier of it always seems like I'll have another day, another week. I can get to that next month. And I wonder, I think this will be my last question. Has, has doing this work, has being involved in these conversations with our patients and trying to spread the word about how important advanced care planning is, has it changed your perspectives on the process? And I wonder also if you could share a little bit, and Marilyn, you did, about how, how you talk about this kind of stuff with your own families. You know, every time I have a conversation with a patient or do a presentation at a community event, people are astounded at the depth of the conversation and things that they need to think about. And I come away from that occasion with just a warm feeling. I feel like I helped um, individuals think about something that's very important and I don't know if legacy is the word, but it's it's offering a gift to their families, um, to their loved ones, to have these conversations and complete these the documents. But from personal experience, I, I can speak to the fact that the conversations are easier for me, I think, because my immediate family has had several um, events where these conversations are just a normal part of our family conversation. So it's I can't put myself in the shoes of somebody who has difficulty talking about this topic. I would agree to be, you know take advantage if you will of unfortunate situations with loved ones or people you hear about friends and so forth and think about what's going well in terms of them making decisions in the situation and what's not going well. The other thing that for some people, while we offer individual appointments or appointments for couples or family, some people opt to come to a group session. So there can be, oh, anywhere from four to 15 people in a group session and they share. And sometimes individuals haven't had, they've been fortunate, they haven't had an experience, never had anyone in critical care, never really haven't experienced death of anyone very close to them. And hearing the stories of others and that shared learning has really, people are very appreciative of that. And particularly people who maybe don't know how to begin talking about it, hearing and learning from others in the group who are of various ages and life experiences has um, been a gift to some. So that's another great option for people. Please remember these final thoughts. It always seems too early until it's too late. Do not put this off. Give this as a gift to your family. I think that's a poignant way to end. Uh, Marilyn Fallon, Penny Dupee, thank you both for joining us today on The Rounds. Uh, it was an entertaining and interesting conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. The Rounds is produced by Ryan Matterick and supported by the Marketing and Communications Department of Marshfield Clinic Health System. 
You can subscribe to The Rounds and download episodes via iTunes or by visiting shine365.marshfieldclinic.org. I'm Adam Hawking, and I hope you'll join us next time on The Rounds.